So, Dave, how was San Diego? Oh, it was sunny, beautiful, enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it, you that means you got a chance to go outside. Yes, yeah. It was it was it was nice. The sun was out. Very different from Ohio in the winter and everything. So it was, it was nice. <laughs> yeah. What'd you think? Yeah, it was nice. <clears throat> yeah, the weather was fine. I I suppose didn't get to see very much of it, but uh, I heard it was nice. Um, yeah, uh, it's funny. You know, you pack that many field folks into a room, but there must've been 700 people there. Yep. Something like that. Yep. Uh, it was a bunch and, uh, you get that many people packed into kind of one conference center for two days. And, uh, that's a recipe for exhaustion. Yeah. I was, uh, I'm only, I'm only just now getting my feet back underneath me. Nice. So, uh, anyway, what's new with you? Yeah. So, uh, Lauren turned uh, sweet 16 a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah. How nice. Yeah. So imagine, uh, 16 year old, you know, what, what do you think is like, this is what I want for my birthday? Uh, giant taffeta dress. Oh wait, no, that's a quinceanera, no, right? No. That's no, that's not right. No. Um, no, what does she want? I don't know. Strawberry shortcake. I don't know. I have a boy. I don't yeah. Know, I, I don't yeah. Know well, no, you would think like, I would like, I remember when I was turned 16, I'm like, I want a car, you know, expecting like a car with a bow on it when I walk out and you know, and all that. But, uh, no, she's like, no, I'm, I want a laptop. Uh, for my birthday and because <laughs> it's lauren and lauren wants a laptop yes, yeah great. well and i'm like well you know they typically come pre-installed with windows on it and she's like no no we got to put linux on it and i'm like i can do that so yeah yeah wonderful yep. That's great. <clears throat> so we got her we got her one and uh it was interesting with the whole uh so we got a dell uh dell latitude um and uh you know we we you know went and picked it out the right uh, weight and you know and the, key, the keyboard and everything just so it's it's just perfect for her she she insisted on having an ethernet port on it so she could plug it into the robot to program it um you know it's like it, it was interesting her her list of requirements and uh but it's like so we we ordered it it shows up and i was surprised like typically you know i'm so used to buying like cell phones where you like you or a tablet and you open it up and it's like this is like it was like uh, like some sort of Japanese gift, right? Where it's it like unfolds <laughs> and it's it's just like it's like somebody's giving you a gift that you're opening. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas this uh, the laptop shows up and it's like this brown cardboard box and all recycled material and stuff. And I'm like, wow, that was it was like really kind of anticlimactic. And and I wasn't sure if it was because. Uh, Dell doesn't know any better, or maybe they do know, like, you know, they saw, you know, they survey their business customers saying that, no, I, I buy the laptops just to take them out of the box and I check the box and I hand it to an employee. And it's like, I don't want to pay extra money for a, a fancy out of the box experience. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't, yeah. Uh, I think, no, that sounds exactly right. It's a, uh, um, it's the difference between, uh, having business customers and retail customers, right? Um, business customers don't, pay for a sense of joy uh, when they get the product yeah. right no no joy in business yeah so <laughs> that's very true i figure i i i'll turn it on and just make sure it's alive and everything because it's like you, you don't want it to be like doa and or you know so it's like i, I turn it on and th- again speaking of the out-of-box experience um i booted up you know windows 7 is booting up and it, it just took like 15 minutes to just sit there and oh like just like unfold itself and it's just chugging and chugging and chugging. And then it's like, okay, it came up. And then it's like, dog, slow. And it's it's like pulling down updates. And then it goes to, then it says, hey, you got updates. You got to reboot. And then it's like, 
you reboot, it applies the updates and then reboots again. Then it applies more updates and then reboots again, like automatically, unattended. Then it finally comes up and it's like, hey, you got more updates and you do more updates. And <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe it. So um, so anyhow, it's like I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, let's see, you know, maybe I'll dual boot it and see if I could, I could uh, fit Linux on there and everything. And the way they had it partitioned was um, they had like some sort of Dell partition. They had a like a Windows recovery partition. Then they had the real Windows partition, leaving me with one primary partition left, which meant I can't put Linux on it, right? Because I, I, I need mm -hmm. a boot partition and I need a root partition. So I'm right. like, fine. And so it's like I, I DD'd the whole thing to... Uh, I, I got a live DVD, DD the image to uh, another disk drive, and then installed uh, RHEL seven on it, and it just it came up and and it worked. It was it was like pretty awesome, um, and it was like you know the the experience that you would expect you know as far as like the like you would think it's like yeah you install it you do some updates and maybe you reboot and then you're like rock and roll you're ready to go. Um, had had some issues with uh, Wi Fi. Just because it's like the like the brand new um, uh, brand new Wi-Fi chip from Intel, um, so but I but the cool thing there again is it it's like I could I could look around and see other people having the problem and I could see at kernel.org people are working on it as opposed to this opaque black box of whether it's I don't know Apple or Microsoft or um, Google or somebody where you know it's like you can yell and complain publicly but. You don't know if anybody's listening to you, or you know, you fill out some Doctor right. Watson, you know, type in, and it probably goes into a filing cabinet somewhere. Um, <laughs> but you know that, but that experience is pretty cool, um, and it also reminded me of the the Chromebook experience that I have. Um, you know, whenever I got that, and and again, it's like got one for my wife, got one for my parents for Christmas, um, where it's like you take it out of the box, you lift the lid, seven seconds later, it's booted up. You're logged in, and it's it's like done. I mean, you're you're mm -hmm. ready to go. And and to me, that really scares me in terms of uh, well, it scares me for for like Windows. You know, they're going to have to change the way they do things because I, I think the expectations are really really changing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's interesting. Um, uh, you know, what's funny too is uh, you know thinking about buying a new laptop. Uh, is it just me or? I am buying laptops less frequently than I used to. Yep. Um, I am now on, I think I'm, you know, like four or five years, every four or five years I'm buying a new laptop, whereas it used to be, you know, every two years. Yeah, yeah it's, to me it's physical, like her old laptop still runs like a champ, but it's just physically, mm -hmm. mechanically just starting to, to, you know, like the hinge on the, the screen and stuff. Right. And, and I have a feeling that's how they're designing obsolescence in uh, that way, as opposed to technical obsolescence right. to make the you know the screen fall off or make it a little bit fragile. Because <laughs> right. I know yeah. the ThinkBook or the ThinkPads that we have um, are, seem to be getting a, a lot more flimsy than than they used to be than when uh, Lenovo had them, or I mean, whenever yeah. IBM owned them, those are like tanks. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, ha happy birthday to Lauren. Yeah, and then I I had an interesting experience. Yesterday, I um, got called in uh, to do uh, substitute teacher uh, for Sunday school. So it's like, yeah, bring bring it on. I, I haven't done it in a while, so but I'll be glad to do it. Um, so first grade, uh, so going in teaching first grade, and and I was I was telling uh, my wife and Lauren later, it was like a room full of kittens. 
um, after, you know, because it's just so much energy. They're bouncing off the walls and, you know, they're just adorable. And, uh, and, and these kids, they just have so much energy. They're raising their hands, participating and everything. And then it's like, but you never know what you're going to get, uh, what they're going to say and stuff. So the one kid that was really vocal uh, through most of the class, he like raises his hand, and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, go go ahead," and and uh, he's like, "You know what? You remind me a lot of my great grandpa." <laughs> and I'm just thinking, it's a gray hair. I bet I bet it's a gray hair, <laughs> you know. And and I'm just like, okay, well, it, let's explore this a little bit. And and I'm like, well, you know, why, you know, why do you, you know, is it because I'm like telling stories and I'm like joking around? So I remember in my day, Sonny, and all the kids were laughing and everything. And then I'm like, where is it? Am I am I crotchety? Am I all like grouchy? And you know, get off my lawn, you kids. And he's like laughing, <laughs> laughing, laughing. And he's like, no, 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 no. My great grandpa, he's really nice, just like you. Oh yeah, so I'm just like that's nice. Yeah, that was that was worth it. That that whole time, you know, it was, it was just so much fun. So, whenever you can oh, volunteer cool. and help out kids and stuff, it's you know I encourage it because it's it's rewarding uh, for when you do it yourself too. So it's nice. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and it's, and especially rewarding when they flatter you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sometimes you wonder. It's like, why am I doing this? And uh, but this is this is one of the good times. So yeah. Yes. All right. Nice to see you've uh, locked up the vote of the uh, first grade crowd. Yep. That's uh, yeah, that's great. So how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm but yeah, San Diego really took it out of me, and uh, so I spent uh, a couple three days uh, recovering. Um, you know, just getting my sleep back in order, things like that. And uh, so I was uh, biding my time uh, when I was not enjoying the company of my family. I was uh, biding my time with uh, some strategy games on my tablet mm-hmm. here. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of uh, Civilization. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, that's a that's been a long time favorite of mine. And so I was looking for like an equivalent thing, like, you know, maybe like a long plane ride. I could play a little kind of Civilization type game. So I picked up, uh, I tried two of them out. So Clash of Clans, which is apparently very popular, or at least well advertised, and then uh, Dominations, mm-hmm. uh, which is a kind of more sophisticated version of Clash of Clans, an obvious knockoff of it, but I think an improvement, uh, designed by the same guy that did Age of Empires, mm-hmm. which was itself a knockoff of Civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so Clash of Clans is a little cartoony. It was fine, I guess. Dominations was uh, definitely uh, uh, more fun to play for me, but uh, I ended up erasing both of them off my off my tablet, and and, and here's why. Uh, they're free to download, but of course, you know, uh, it, the game is designed to ensure that you have to, or your life will be easier if you spend money with them to buy favors in the game, mm. right? Um, so you can certainly play without it, um, but uh, but the constraints and the gameplay is designed to ensure that you know you are you are tempted to spend ten bucks on getting you know hundred crowns or or whatever the currency is right. Yeah. Um, that's all fine. Like I get it. Like they need to make money. Good for them. Um, and I probably would continue to play it. But the games are also designed for constant engagement. So you know you like whatever you like design your village, you buy a couple houses, you lay some roads down and then you walk away from the game. And then I come back and there's three alerts from the game. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I'll go back to saying like, Oh, okay. Well now there's this activity that you have to do in this activity and this, and this activity. And I'd swear after a couple of days, it was like, it was like owning a Tamagotchi. Yeah. Like suddenly it wasn't like gameplay anymore. It was like, Oh no, it's I'm work. like, it's work. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Like this is, this is now something I have to maintain. Um, 
you know, I already got one kid um, <laughs> and got to keep that thing alive. Uh, you know, and now I've got this, now I've got this game, this super pushy game. Um, and then, uh, you know, so I was like, okay, but you know, it is, you know, filling the hours and I guess, I, and I entered into this, uh, uh, this, uh, really just, a uh, almost abusive relationship with it. Um, just, uh, it was, you know, who, was, who was it getting a lot of fulfillment. You? You're, you're <laughs> yeah, well, I was, I feel like I was getting abused. I feel like I was being taken advantage of by this game. And, uh, and then, uh, uh some, uh, some jerk, uh, over in the, in the game world, uh, marched uh, 50 musketeers in and leveled my village and i was like oh that's it i'm out <laughs> deleted i'm done like yeah nice little tour and uh and that's over now so anyway if you're into it dominations uh but it will insist on taking over uh, a non-trivial portion of your life wow. so yeah i bet it feels good to get the time back it, it does feel it's it feels almost as good as when i quit facebook yeah and i've got a yeah yeah um, so instead I went on and did some yard work. Mm-hmm. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. Did any anyway. uh, musketeers go through and, and trample it up or? No, I wish they would though. Cause I got this Bermuda grass problem that only a musketeer, a musketeer could solve. I feel, oh. uh, I'm about to set fire to my front lawn. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, what, what are we at? <laughs> Please let's get to the show, yeah. uh, before I start talking about yard work. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, this week, what do we got? <laughs> we got, uh, it's all about automation, right? It's uh, mm-hmm. automated swarms, uh, yep. automated chefs, and uh, automated yeah. kill chains. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, so, if, uh, if folks want links uh, to uh, any of the to, like the automated kill chain stuff, um, and uh, maybe links to uh, Clash of Clans and uh, Dominations, if they've got a bunch of spare time on their yep. hands, uh, where should they go, Dave? Uh, they want to go to dgshow.org. So, D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. Where we will also find uh, some stuff that was on the cutting room floor this week. Uh, you you found this hilarious uh, Pixar version of Fast and Furious. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you got to drop it's everything so good. and go look at it. Yeah, that was great. That was great. And uh, and I found um, a uh, uh, a series of Gothic passages written about Washington D.C., mm-hmm. um, which is just brilliant satire. Um, it's so good. It's like if Edgar Allan Poe was writing about Washington D.C. today, it was it, just great. Mm-hmm. Just great. Nice. Yeah. So, so I got some uh, air gap follow up. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You you know what isn't air gap? Hmm. I don't know. The uh, Wi Fi network between passengers and the avionics systems on uh, Boeing seven eighty sevens and the Airbus A three fifty and three eighty. You have got to be getting nope. me. Nope. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, think of the money they're saving. How does that, by, how, by having, <laughs> how does how do they even get away with that? Like, I would I mean, the the, FD, the FAA would like yeah. would sue them into oblivion. It seems well, they have a firewall. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, those are perfect. Yeah. So we don't have anything to worry about. Nothing there. to worry about. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> yeah. What a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and the so the article goes into you know talking about this, and then they they said that. Uh, well, they first have to bypass the, the the firewall that separates the Wi-Fi system from the avionics system. Yeah, and then, um, but then, you know, it, because you know, it's not like somebody. They, you can imagine, you know, like it, you have like the uh, default or admin and and password as a default for the <laughs> like for the commercial Wi-Fi routers um, or the you know the home ones. Um, but you got you got that. Um, but it also talks about well. If you think about it, somebody could actually be on the plane, 
have some malware installed on their system and then you could have an attacker on the ground send be able to get into the laptop of the passenger and then go from there into the avionics system yeah yeah exactly mm -hmm. um and you can even imagine a scenario where it's not even a it doesn't even have to be a particularly sophisticated piece of malware right it could just be like a hostile piece of very clever javascript yep yep right yeah totally because that's you know we've seen that been done before mm -hmm. right where um you run some javascript locally inside your firewall and then what it tries to do is get to um, your home router and then try to change a password and take it over and, and do bad things. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, so uh, Boeing replied, uh, responded to the GAO, GAO report with a statement saying that, uh, that a pilot manual override system would prevent someone from successfully commandeering planes in this way. <laughs> like, right. That seems like it that's not where you want to solve the problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, oh, if somebody has taken over the flight control system, the pilot can override it. Oh, whew. okay, good. Yeah, well, not like they're okay. doing anything else at the time, like like flying the plane, right? <laughs> right, now, now the pilot has to be a network engineer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, yeah, 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 reboot it and all that. Um, yeah, and then Airbus uh, released a statement saying that, uh, uh, that it, constantly assesses and revisits the system architecture of our products with an eye towards establishing and maintaining the highest standards of safety and security. Beyond that, we don't discuss design details or safeguards publicly as such discussion might be counterproductive to security. Right. In other words, we're not going to talk about the security flaw that you discovered because in talking about it, people might discover security flaws. Right. Yep. It's ridiculous. Yep. I'm 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 really surprised slash appalled at this because given the kind of fanatical approach to security and safety in every other part of aircraft design, mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's books and books and like people get advanced degrees in how to design safe airplanes, right? Or or having um, redundancy, right? Yeah, where it's yeah. like, oh, if one if one engine fails, I got three more. Well, hey, I got mm -hmm. one network right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't understand this. And also it may be that I haven't read the GAO report. I suppose there, you, you could imagine that the, the actual risk is very low, right? Like maybe the stuff that is on the airplane Wi-Fi is just for like, uh, software updates or if the, now here I'm trying to make excuses and it's not working. Like this is just appalling. Mm -hmm. This is terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and you got some Klingon news, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it, it does wind up. I did talk to Lauren about the uh, Klingon High Council, and uh, she's like, "Yeah, I got. I I need to verify that with her uh, Star Trek encyclopedia that that I got her for Christmas." Um, but anyhow, it is verified. Uh, it is indeed the Klingon High Council, and uh, you found that uh, Klingon is coming to uh, Duolingo. Yeah, we joked about it in the last episode, but uh, it turns out not a joke. Uh, it's a real thing. Yeah, Klingon is uh, Klingon's coming to Duolingo. Nice. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Uh, very clever. Also, Esperanto is available on Duolingo. Oh, good, good. If you're uh, if you're into uh, dead languages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, robot swarms, Dave. Tell me about robot swarms. Yeah. So there's there um, there's a thing called biobot roaches. Um, so I don't know if they lobotomize these roaches or just come like do a, a man in the middle attack with with between their brains and their nervous system, but they put these little backpacks on big roaches and um, they're able to control their movements um, so they could you know through uh, the the electronic backpack they could tell the roach to move forward move right move left and all that and go around and the thought is um, oh well they could help 
um, uh, first responders find survivors in the aftermath of a disaster. So, you know, I don't know if there's like a building falls down and there's people underneath it, um, you know, a dump truck of roaches with backpacks on it, they could dump that on there. And then that would freak me out. I mean, I'm having a bad <laughs> enough day of being like trapped inside of, uh, you know, having a building on top of me. And then there's all these robot roaches crawling all over me. I wouldn't like that. They would probably hear yeah, me screaming sense. at least, but, uh, yeah, well, it, and uh, and I noted that uh, that they're using Madagascar hissing cockroaches, mm-hmm. right? Which are enormous and scary looking. Yeah, um, yeah. So not even like tiny household cockroaches. Yeah. So. Well, and I wonder too. Like, let, let me get your take on this. Do you think that this is ethical as far as like, you know, I, I don't know. People perform experiments on monkeys and whatnot, or mice, yeah. but and hey, this is bugs. But what what what's your take on this? I don't know. I, there are, you know, there are medical ethicists who uh, who know how to draw this line better than I do. But it has something to do with uh, like subverting free will or choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think I think we're all more or less agreed that uh, unless you're a Jane, um, that uh, uh, everybody's cool with uh, hijacking cockroaches. Um, yeah, I, I think if it was monkeys, totally different set of questions, yep. right? Um, elephants, totally different set of questions. Dolphins, totally different set of questions. But uh, yeah, cockroaches, I'm morally unencumbered uh, by the uh, cockroach experimentation. Although I do have to know that like NC State, which is where this research was done, go Wolfpack. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently NC State is, uh, I, I would be more concerned about the researchers that designed this particular project because um, it sounds like they got some like serious mad scientist stuff going on over there. Um, they might want to, they might, might want to look into a psych review for, uh, maybe, for the guys who built this. Maybe somebody's uh, controlling them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Check them for See, backpacks. Now you're, now, mm-hmm. now you're talking. Yeah. Now you're talking. Yeah. And, and speaking of uh, swarms um, of, of insects, uh, there's just real quick, um, there's, I'll put a link in the show notes uh, where you can see Intel's uh, CEO control a swarm of, of robotic spiders with uh, gestures. Oh, I saw this movie. Mm-hmm. I saw this movie. It had uh, Tom Selleck in it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. What was that movie? Runaway. Runaway. We'll put a link, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, really tremendously bad uh, attempt at uh, at piggybacking on the success of Blade Runner. Um, just a just a horrible movie. Hmm. Uh, all right, Dave. Uh, we've actually been doing a lot of cooking in the house lately, um, yeah. and I've got some. Uh, I do have some cookbook recommendations that I'll uh, stick in the show notes. But you found uh, a, a cookbook with a uh, kind of a twist. Yeah, kind of a unique cookbook. Yep, yep. So um, this one, uh, there's a cookbook written by a supercomputer. Hmm. Is this like a like a Watson thing? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, yeah. So the the same uh, I don't know if it's the same computer, but um, there's uh, this I, these IBM researchers have worked with uh, um, their Watson intelligent uh, computing uh, to be able to come up with a uh, cookbook. So how does it? I can imagine you know. Okay, so it takes like the corpus of uh, you know hundreds and hundreds of cookbooks, mm-hmm. um, and then finds kind of what things generally work together mm-hmm. but it seems like have it seems like you would have to put some kind of like aesthetic judgment on it right um because uh peanut butter and uh peanut butter and jelly tend to appear together frequently um but just because you put uh what um i don't know jelly on a or peanut butter on a on a celery stick doesn't mean uh, celery stick and peanut butter and jelly are necessarily good mm-hmm. so like i wonder what the well, I guess this is the trick, right? Like, how do they how do they figure out what's actually going to work and what isn't? Yeah. So, well, what they've been doing is that they've been pouring over uh, 
troves of recipes uh, and food-related data, um, and you know from the you know classic meal combinations, um, and then looking at flavor preferences and chemical compositions, and then coming up with um, ideas that uh, I guess at a molecular level that haven't been tried yet. Oh, okay. So it's almost okay. like I, I can imagine it's sort of like a fuzzy, uh, fuzzy logic sort of thing, or, or um, mm-hmm. uh, what do you call it? A uh, uh, not a knowledge base, but uh, well, they're doing it doing it by inference mm-hmm. rather than deduction, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So, so in other words, no warranty that any of these recipes are actually good. Correct. Yeah. They're just things that are statistically likely to work out. Yep. Yes. And, and, you know, and what's funny is that they're like, I saw a lot of the recipes and, and I'm like my taste palette, like I'm not a foodie at all. And I, mm-hmm. I actually, I'm not a fan of like, if I had a choice between going to some fancy pants restaurant and trying all kind of weird combinations of, you know, ox marrow, French fries and, you know, all, all it's like, just give me like wings and, and beer and I'm happy, you know? And, and so I'm like, cool with that. Um, where it's like, I, I read these recipes and it's like, Oh, it kind of sounds interesting. I wouldn't be in, I, like for a foodie they they may be all over it, but, but I wonder too, if it is a kind of thing that, um, you know, it's almost like a, a Jimmy Kimmel sort of thing where they get a bunch of flavors and they mix them together and show them to people. And then they say, Oh, this is delicious. Just to try to not look unsophisticated. You know, because it, right. it's so exotic right. and, and whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, well, and it makes me wonder. I mean, this is basically what Taco Bell has been doing for 20 years. Yeah. Right. And TGI Fridays, where it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah, like, right. they, I don't know if they have like a big wheel that they spin and, you know, and, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, we'll melt cheese on top of it and then done, you know, and, and uh, yeah, right, right. barbecue sauce. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's yeah. like they have a finite number of ingredients and how many combinations can you do? Uh, uh, to keep it interesting. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Yeah. Cool. So Dave, we're like uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes into the episode and we haven't talked about privacy yet. Yeah. Yeah. So what's uh, anything new? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so who do you, who do you think, who, who would you guess is the largest private holder of biometric data? Which government? Uh, uh, no, I think it's the private sector. Private, private sector. sector. Private sector. Biometric data. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Facebook. Facebook. Okay. So what, they go around swabbing people and... <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. All your DNA is now on file yeah. um, to improve your ad experience. Yeah. No, <laughs> uh, this, <laughs> this is uh, the, uh, the uh, face recognition um, feature on Facebook, uh, is, uh, so you can imagine, I mean, there are what over a billion people on Facebook. Um, Facebook knows what they all look like cause it's got your photos and they're now using your social network to kind of cross reference, um, all those, uh, all those identities. And so they know that, uh, David X looks like this and these are all the photos that he shows up in. Right. So that's, that is a tremendously powerful, uh, biometric database. Hmm. That's a, that's a movie plot waiting to happen. It is a movie plot waiting to happen. And it makes me thankful that the, uh, you know, those automated face recognition systems, uh, work so poorly. Um, you know, like those, uh, those municipal, you know, like CCTV Mm -hmm. face recognition things. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, despite the many, many millions of dollars we spent on them, they don't, they don't work out well. And thank goodness for that. Uh, because Facebook could basically weaponize that stuff. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So, and, uh, 
and uh, in possibly really related news, um, we're, this is, as far as I know, like the first big move of a social media company as a result of privacy regulations. Yep. Yeah. Uh, is, so yeah, Twitter's Twitter's pulled stumps, and uh, actually, for all of the non-U.S. accounts, those are all now operated out of Ireland mm-hmm. instead of the United States. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so that that's a way to so they even formed a separate company. It's uh, what is it, uh, Twitter International Company, uh, located in Dublin, Ireland. And so is this is this like running to the regulations of Ireland or running from the kind of post Snowden U.S. regime? I think it's both, and where it's like they probably were shopping for the probably the most stable company or a stable country with the most. Uh, the best uh, data protection, like I believe that they they can take advantage of the EU um, uh, data protection that they have. Right, right. So that so by moving like European users into a European data center, they simultaneously uh, slip the grasp of the U.S. regulators, um, but also put themselves into safe regulatory ground mm-hmm. um, in Dublin. Um, but not so safe. Like they didn't move to Germany, right? Because like the German privacy laws are like downright dr- draconian, mm-hmm. right? So uh, it sounds like Dublin is kind of like a happy medium for them. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's that's yeah, that's interesting. And you know what? What's the economic impact too? I, I don't know because it's just mostly it's data centers, right? Hmm. Hmm. Well, and it's interesting too to see. Um, you know, traditionally, different jurisdictions will compete for somebody's business uh, based on whatever tax breaks or something like that. Um, but here's an example of somebody moving for uh, somebody moving for privacy reasons it seems kind of qualitatively different yeah. than the usual kind of competition we get between the United States and, and Europe. Yeah, yeah, and then also the other part is too, like acts. You know, this is a data center, I guess. So you know, you got to think about energy costs, and uh, uh, you know, so when you're weighing all the pros and cons, you don't want to go to, um, some place that has like super, uh, great protection from a privacy standpoint, but really expensive electricity costs or, you know, things like that. And, and so you got to weigh all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. It's man. I'm glad I don't have to cite a data center. That's a, uh, that's complicated work. Yep. Uh, let's see. What else have we got? Yeah. I got a, I got a trick people can try. Okay. Yeah. So if you uh, have an Android phone and you mm-hmm. go to Google, just go to google.com and do a search for find my phone, it'll find it. Wow. That's incredibly handy. Yep. Yep. That's way better than I, I don't know if you've tried the, the Apple experience of this, um, which is pretty annoying. Um, like you got to go into the Apple website and then log into the website. And then, I mean, it's, it seems like kind of a rigmarole. I mean, just going to a Google search page and saying, find my phone. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. The, they do have you, like, if you haven't logged in in a while, they will actually ask you for your password, like not your, mm-hmm. your one-time password, but just your regular old password, just to make sure that, you know, it's not just somebody just walking up to your computer and looking for you. Right, 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 right. Um, nice reminder for everybody to uh, go change your uh, Google password if you haven't in a, in a while. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Huh. But that, I like that. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, you're you you are back in uh, in your favorite uh, publication, Dave. Yeah. Uh, military embedded systems. Yeah. Yeah. They're, you're like senior. You're like senior editor over there. No. Now, right? No. No. Um, <laughs> no. It was nice. Those guys uh, reached out 
to me uh, actually it was like on April 6th and they're like hey we need an article uh, can you write one and thank goodness I wasn't traveling that week and uh, got it turned around pretty quickly and uh, it went live later that week um, so that was pretty cool oh that's great okay we'll, uh, we'll stick a link to that in the show notes yep excellent uh, I got a link for you I did not do this work uh, but someone else did this good work um, uh, one of the one of the folks at Red Hat got Oracle running on RHEL 6 mm-hmm. in a Docker container residing on RHEL 7 wow talk about hair shirts uh, from last yeah. Episode. <laughs> yeah wow yeah for real um, so there's a YouTube video uh, showing how showing how it's done there um, so we'll, we'll include a link to that which is pretty great yeah. and uh, and also the uh, the the middleware business unit had some product announcements this week. Yep. Um, so our beloved uh, business process management and uh, business rules management system, BPM and BRMS, uh, version 6.1 of those folks are out uh, and available for download. And uh, you'll see an announcement about that on April 21st. Yeah. So you'll sneak peek here on the DG show. Yep. Yep. And then uh, common criteria, Dave. Yeah. That's a, that's a thing that, you know, people always ask and you're like, waving your hands about it and you're, you know and it's like yeah it's in evaluation it's in evaluation and uh so we got some good news to announce right yep it is uh jboss is now certified at eal4 nice yes that's that's uh, eal4 too that, that that is pretty uh pretty impressive that's right good eye uh before we had certified at eal2 yeah. um which is a kind of the like minimum entry point uh, for this kind of software but eal4 is and 4 plus is uh is the best you can do um, you know, without uh, putting uh, guys with guns at the door. So, um, yeah, congratulations to the JBoss team. It obviously was a great deal of work. Yeah, so congratulations to the to the middleware folks. Um, uh, getting it from EAL two to EAL four is a non trivial amount of work. Uh, took a lot of time. Uh, it was a big investment for us. Um, but uh, I'm sure customers will appreciate um, having. Uh, the security of the JBoss uh, Enterprise Application Platform certified by a, by a third party and recognized internationally. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nice. Yep. Um, David, you are you having as many RHCI conversations as I am? Yeah, it's like the new thing. It's the yeah, it's like uh, the kids are crazy about it. So the Red Hat Cloud infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? So this includes uh, our beloved RHEL and uh, Cloud Forms and uh, Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization and OpenStack. It's uh, basically one subscription that gives you everything you need to run an open hybrid cloud, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the architecture for this is predictably a little crazy, right? Because uh, you've got like traditional virtualization with Rev. You've got the kind of scale out cloud stuff with OpenStack. You've got Cloud Forms managing both of those as well as things like Amazon EC2. Um, so it can be kind of hard to figure out how to put all these pieces together. But uh, a friend of the show, James Labaki, um, who's over there on the uh, on the strategy team, uh, put together this really beautiful um, architectural diagram of RHCI, mm-hmm. uh, which I want to direct everybody to. Um, I, I learned a lot from it, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I'm talking about this stuff every day. So uh, nice work, James. So I, I, I have uh, some other good news to add. Okay. All right. So, you know, oftentimes I fall into the trap of like, oh, I'm having a problem with, with RHEL. And, you know, what's the first thing you do? You do a Google search, right? You, you forget sure. to go to the customer portal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So there's a, a tweet that uh, I saw from uh, J.P. Sherman. Um, and uh, and and he, uh, like, if you go, here's another Google trick to try. Um, if you go to um, Google and then you say how to update Rev Hypervisor you, and you do a search, 
Um, it has uh, the six steps in Google of, of how to do it, and um, and you go through how to do it, and it's actually a link back to um, the customer portal. Oh, cool! So it's like one of those uh, like one of those Google cards mm-hmm. that pops up at the top of the thing. Yep. Oh, neat! Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So in, you know, instead of the past of, oh, I gotta go. It's like you know, you you do this Google search and then it returns a whole bunch of like junk or stuff that's non-authoritative that some dude did and you don't <laughs> know if it's right or wrong. Um, sure. Here's a way that you could um, get that authoritative information um, and and that's the other thing too is that if you uh, if you look at the search results too like like all, all the you know above the fold like the first page of results it's all from the customer portal. Um, which again, it's it's steering everybody into the customer portal for that authoritative information. So um, Google's doing a great job of actually indexing the customer portal, and we're doing a great job of letting Google do that. So that's pretty cool. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Okay, very cool. So, uh, Dave, you know who my favorite uh, Ceph user is? Mm, Yahoo. It is Yahoo. Um, so what a lot of people don't know, I mean, Ceph, we acquired Ceph, what, six months ago, maybe more? Yeah, a little more, I think, yeah. A little more. Um, and, uh, Ceph is famous for, you know, being the storage backend for stuff like, uh, you know, some of the OpenStack, uh, modules. Um, but, uh, folks have been using Ceph in the wild for quite some time, mm-hmm. um, back when it was an ink tank. And, uh, there was a, there's a great write-up of, uh, how Yahoo is using Ceph, uh, to manage the, uh, just boatload of cat photos uh, that they have to keep track of. Yeah, that's with uh, Flickr, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I encourage everybody to go take a look at that. I was, I, I learned a lot, actually, uh, uh, reading that or reading up on that. So uh, nice work, Yahoo, mm-hmm. using uh, using an outstanding storage system like Ceph. Mm-hmm. So Dave, I got a, I got a, one final, uh, one final piece uh, for the show today as I, I found a talk by uh, General Cartwright. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the uh, strategic command, mm. uh, these are the folks that uh, manage the uh, missile defense system. Right. So don't make them mad. Don't do not make them mad. <laughs> uh, although actually, so this talk was uh, back in two thousand. Uh, it was a while back. It was like two thousand nine, two thousand seven, um, and I was struck uh, by how much of this talk is still echoed today. He doesn't use the language of agile or DevOps or you know IT as manufacturing, uh, but he has absolutely grasped the principles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, we talk about agility and you know wanting an infrastructure that can react quickly to changes in the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so in his case, changes to the environment include uh, if anything comes off the face of the earth, you have a hundred seconds to type it, figure out what it is, and act on it. So think no about pressure. That for a second. Yeah. No pressure. Yeah, right. So something is launched, you have 100 seconds to figure out what it is and figure out whether it needs to be destroyed or not. Um, he says, I can't even get on a phone, I can't even get through a phone call that fast, mm-hmm. uh, which is exactly right, right? I mean, we think about, you know, if there's a launch, you know, we think about like Cuban Missile Crisis, like there's time for uh, John F. Kennedy to bring in Bobby and uh, Curtis LeMay and, uh, you know, have a, a leisurely conversation about, uh, you know, whether they're going to respond to a Soviet threat or not. Um, that's not the world we live in now, nope. right? Um, he has 100 seconds to act. And so he talks about the importance, uh, you know, in, in his language, he talks about a kill chain, right, mm-hmm. uh, which is the uh, the series of technologies and processes that 
that you have to run through in order to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, in order to you know shoot a missile or not. So, and he describes that whole thing as the kill chain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in business we call this like the value chain. Yes. Right. And so he he t- he talks about. Um, his ability to run through that kill chain quickly in, in less than 100 seconds means automating most of his quote-unquote business processes, mm-hmm. right? Um, so doing things like automating the identification of the object, mm-hmm. um, automating you know response and countermeasures and things like that, um, which is not altogether different than how we should be thinking about how to run data centers, right? Totally. Or, or kind of applications. Um, and you see, and you see that today, and you know the emphasis of DevOps on things like automation. Um, I also liked uh, I also like how he how he talks about building for failure, right? We always talk about fail fast, right, mm-hmm. uh, to to succeed sooner. So, uh, in his case, he talks about uh, his, his maintenance cycles and coordinating maintenance cycles on uh, you know in the Pacific theater. You know, for example, he talks about um, you know updating a particular terrestrial radar system could actually knock his entire kill chain out, mm. right? Um, and you're running a large organization, you don't really think about kind of one radar. Uh, being so important to the kill chain, the value chain, um, that it would kind of quote unquote disrupt his business. Mm-hmm. Um, but in fact, that's that was the case. And so one of the things he did when he came into Stratcom was, uh, you know, map out the kill chain and figure out where his points of failure were and make sure that he had ways of routing around them if something failed. And it reminded me a lot of like the chaos monkey. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, uh, uh, <laughs> I really liked uh, this uh, Disney principle. That mm-hmm. he describes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know he's he's got he's obviously a guy of like full of good ideas, and he's got these new things. You know he's he actually got a bunch of people at Stratcom to start blogging what they were doing as a way of exchanging information with people in an asynchronous way, mm-hmm. uh, which I like to I like that idea a lot. Again, this is back in the kind of mid two thousands, right? So that was kind of cutting edge thinking um, for for Stratcom. Um, but you know he's, he talks about standing up these new communications platforms, standing up these new tools. Uh, to all these new projects, he applies the Disney principle, which is either you have a line at the door or you shoot it and kill it and move on. The line or the people? <laughs> That's right. Well, depending on your mission, right? It's all, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, do, I, I do like this idea of, uh, of an IT organization that is responsive to user demand in that way. Yeah. Um, you know, too often, and we even see this inside Red Hat, right? We'll stand up a tool and no matter how many people don't use it, uh, we continue to do the kind of care and feeding and kind of keep it going. Yes. Um, and he recommended just being absolutely ruthless about uh, killing products or services that people don't find valuable. Yeah. Technical um, so debt. I like that a lot. Technical debt, exactly right. So anyway, I encourage everybody to read through this. Uh, really, the, the speech is great. He is eloquent. He He's obviously a great speaker, even just reading the transcript. Um, there's a ton of good ideas in there uh, and really visionary, right, in retrospect. Uh, so anyway, I'm... I was super excited about it. Uh, so go read, uh, go read General Cartwright's uh, speech. Nice. We'll include a link to that in the show notes. Great. All right. So, Gunnar, if uh, people need to uh, uh, find out why uh, or how, how they would be able to, to hack into an avionics system or um, they want to put a, a backpack on a roach or a researcher. Stay cool, TSA. Yeah. Stay cool, TSA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, um, yeah. Or, or, or if they want to move their data center over overseas, um, where, where should we send them? Oh, they need to go to HTTPS colon slash slash DGshow.org. D as in Dave, G as in Gunner, show.org. Excellent. Okay. Well, well, thanks, Gunner. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah. Have a great week, everyone.